Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verse 31. That's where we're going to start. I'm going to give you a few minutes to get there. Uh, But Mark chapter 7, verse 31, uh, if you have a digital device, that's fine. But get there, follow along with your device, um, and uh, we're going to continue in this story of Jesus. Last week, we saw Jesus. uh, He traveled to a place called Tyre, uh, where he healed a woman's daughter, uh, and he was coloring completely outside the lines. And that's one of the things that I love about Jesus. Jesus will not be put in a box. He, uh, he won't even be put in a box that he puts himself in. He said that I've come for the lost sheep of Israel, and then he ends up healing someone who's not Jewish. Uh, and so he, he, I don't think he was making a rule for himself there. I think he was saying generally, this is my, this is my mission. Uh, but he was willing to stop and, and, and step outside of that, moved by compassion and moved by this woman's persistence uh, in seeking the healing that she needed for her daughter. Well, there he is in this unlikely place, uh, having this unlikely conversation, performing this unlikely healing, and he leaves there and he goes uh, to the Decapolis, which is another unlikely place. Um, it's, uh, they're both uh, Greco-Roman areas. They're both non-Jewish areas, and as a Jewish rabbi, and specifically as he's claiming to be as the Jewish Messiah, he really probably shouldn't be in those places, at least according to the formula and the preconceived notions and the boxes that the religious leaders and the people of Israel would have had for their Messiah. He was breaking out of more boxes, and I love how he does that. Now, on a completely different note, before we jump into the message, I just need to tell you a story about me. and Well, actually, just something about me. God loves me very much. I don't know if you knew that. God loves you very much, but he loves me very much in a different way. And that's this. God gives me houses. You might have known that about me. You might not have known that about me. But, but God loves to give me houses about every seven years. Christy and I have been married for 21 years, and over those 21 years, about every seven years, give or take a little bit, God gives us a house. And what I mean by that is somebody gives us a free house or God gives us a free house, but, but we come across these deals that are unbelievable. I mean, just ridiculous. Uh, and, uh, and so when, when we were married for about two years, maybe a little less than that, we had been looking for a, a house to buy and we found a fixer-upper and we went into the house and we looked at it and it was a mess. I mean, it was, it was owned by a bank. It had had a water break. The, the foundation needed work. It was a mess and nobody was touching it. And so we're going through the house the first time and I, we left and had a conversation. I'm like, this is way too much. There's no way we could do, do all the work that needs to be done in this house. But then I said, let's go through with our buddy who's a stonemason, look at the foundation because, you know, see if that's even fixable. So as we're going through, I walked down the steps. I've shared this particular story before. I go down the steps, then I took about five steps to the right, and I heard God speak to me. It wasn't audible, 
Uh, but it could have been. I mean, it was like, and, and what I heard him say was offer them half. Well, they had already marked this thing down ridiculous. I mean, it was like they would be giving it away. Um, but we offered them half, and they took it. And we ended up getting this house and fixing it up and a lot of hard work. And, and about seven years after that, we sold it for seven times what we paid for it. Um, now, that was with a lot of hard work and investment and everything else. But it was like, wow, this is really cool. And then God gave us another house. And then another house. It's been very, very uh, cool along the way. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, why doesn't God give me houses? And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, see, we, I have friends uh, over the years who have said, well, how do you do that? I don't know how I do that, but we're looking for a formula, right? We're looking for God. If I do this, this, and this, then God will do this. And it's like A plus B equals C. And that's how we like to approach God. It's, it's, it's kind of our innate religious tendencies. We, we, we pursue a formula and try and get God to do for us what he's done for somebody else. And God doesn't work that way. We pursue a formula rather than a friendship with God when God wants a friendship with you, not a formula for you to pursue. And that's what we see, that's at least what I see in today's passage. In verse 31, I've given you enough time to get there. Verse 31, chapter 7, it says this. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Ooh. Actually, ooh's not in there. But, you know, we, we think when you spit on your hands and touch somebody's tongue, and, and it really, it, that would not have been ooh gross in their culture because it, the, the, the thinking would have been that the spit of a powerful healer would have healing properties. It's kind of like mom's spit, right? Mom's spit is powerful. It can get off any stain, mustard off the cheek, off of a shirt. Mom's spit is a power. There's nothing gross about mom's spit. It's powerful and effective. And so would, would have Jesus's spit have been as well? He's never done this before. He's never spit on it and touched somebody's tongue before. But he, that's what he does here. And then in verse 34, he goes on. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphath, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said, and he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Mark is writing this. I just want to remind us again that Mark is writing this to a non-Jewish audience. He's writing it to a Greco-Roman audience. And so through the through the message or through the the story, he explains things. He interprets words. He explains Jewish customs um, that they wouldn't have understood otherwise. And we see that in this passage. But he does something else very interesting. Jesus is the Messiah is going around healing people, but he steps outside of um, outside of the Jewish population, and Mark includes some healings 
of Gentiles, of non-Jews, because Mark wants to communicate very clearly that Jesus isn't just the Messiah for the Jews. He is the Messiah for everyone, and especially those who will humble themselves and seek him. And we're going to see that today. Um, Jesus, uh, or Mark, uh, makes it really really clear. Now, John, uh, in his book, his story of Jesus, uh, says that Jesus did a lot of miracles. Mark records about 35 of them, a few more when you consider a couple of the other stories. But, but several of them, he is healing people who are not Jewish. Now, the problem with that for a good Jewish person who is awaiting the Messiah is that Jesus is blowing up any formula, any pre-expectation, any box that they would have put the Messiah in because the Messiah would not be coming to help non-Jewish people. The Messiah was coming to kick the non-Jewish people out of their region. He was coming for the people of Israel. And here Jesus shows up for the nations for everyone. And we see this, he demonstrates this in, in, this, in this passage because Jesus heals the wrong person. He heals the wrong dude. He, you know, again, by his own confession, Jesus said, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel, yet he's willing to respond to people outside of that formula. He's willing to step outside of a box that we would want to put him in. You know, we would read that, well, the lost sheep of Israel, he's only going to heal Jews. Then he steps out and he heals a non-Jew. And Jesus is constantly doing this. This guy was not a God-fearing, God-seeking Jewish guy practicing the Jewish religion. He was seeking a miracle. You know, he was a miracle seeker. I just just want a healing. Now, there were plenty of God-fearing, God-seeking Jewish people in need of a miracle that never got one and were probably left going, why did he heal him and not me, Jesus heals the wrong dude. He's, he's blowing up their preconceived notions. Guys, instead of a relationship with God, we try to manipulate him with a formula. And as a, from the Jewish mindset, in this situation, they would have been saying to themselves, look, I, I, I honor the Sabbath. I, I, go to, I go to synagogue. I do this. I do that. I tithe. I, I wash. I do that. Why? Didn't God heal me? Why did they heal some guy? Why did, why did Jesus heal some guy who didn't do any of those things? He didn't deserve it. I do deserve it. And that's the problem when we pursue a formula instead of a friendship with God, because that's ultimately where we end up. And Jesus illustrates this. I want to point you to another passage. Turn back to Matthew chapter 20 and uh, verse 1. Jesus tells a parable illustrating what the kingdom of God is really like and what God is really like. And this is what he says. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was about a day's wage, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and at three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon. So there's only another hour of work left at five in the afternoon. He goes out at five in the afternoon. Um, He went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? 
because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each one received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Now, why would they expect to see, receive more? Because they have a formula in their head. If these guys were paid a denarius for a, an hour of work, we're going to be paid eight denariuses for, or is it denarii? I'm not sure. Anyway, eight, eight of them for eight hours of work because that's how it works. I work and I get this. Now, they were hired for a denarius for the day, but the, the guys who worked an hour they got a denarius, so we should get eight. They had their formula in mind. But each one of them also received just a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Guys, when we have a formula, we get jealous. In fact, I would, I would say this. Jealousy, jealousy is like the warning light on your dashboard that you are falling, in, falling into a religious formula Christianity, you know, because two plus two equals four. If I do this, this, and this, then God has to do this, this, and this. And I have I, I, what I think in our culture, our day and age is a revolutionary statement. Are you ready for this? This might rock your world and you're going to have to wrestle with this. And I want you to, God isn't fair. God isn't fair. He's good. He is always good, but he isn't fair. He does different things for different people. Now, what he does for all of us is he gives us a denarius. And that denarius is we get to come into his kingdom, be adopted into his family, have all our shame and guilt washed away, have his presence and his spirit come and live in our heart. We get to have a dynamic relationship with the God of the universe. We get to, to experience uh, his leading and guiding. We get to experience the, the empty in our heart going away. We get to live forever with him in eternity. That's our denarius. And if that's all we ever get, that is generous and that is more than enough. But there are going to be other people who come into God's family later than you and maybe get an easier life than you. And you're going to look at that. And if you're looking at it through the lens of formula, if you're looking at it through the lens of here's a recipe and if I do this and this and this, then God has to do that, you're going to get jealous. You know, there, there are people in this, this, this family we call the, the, the church that have a, maybe a different mission than you do. And, and you look at it and you're like, man, that's, why didn't I get that mission or that purpose? Or maybe they have a spiritual gift you wish you had. And God gets to, to decide how all of that gets distributed and who gets what. And he knows better than we do. But at the end of the day, if all we get is that denarius, 
That is all, all we need. See, if you're working from a formula, a formula-based Christianity, you know, then, then you're going to think to yourself, well, I should get everything you get, or at least everything that I put in, then God has to give that back to me. But if you're working at it from the relationship side of things, what you learn to understand is I get everything God wants to give me, and I already got the best gift there ever is. I already got more than I could ever ask for or deserve. Wages. Wages are when we get what we deserve. And that's really what this comes down to. They're, these guys in this parable are looking at it from, the, from, from a business standpoint, right? They're looking at it from a business standpoint. If they get paid a denarius an hour and I worked eight hours, I should get eight denarius. And where God's saying, I've already given you everything you deserve and so much more. And if I want to be generous beyond that in different places, I can do that. And we call that grace, right? Wages are when we get what we deserve. Grace is when we get blessing we don't deserve. And mercy is when we get forgiveness that we don't deserve. And God specializes in grace and mercy. And he distributes it as he sees fit. Now, I do want to take a moment and address the practicalities of life. Because it, we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about a relationship with God. In life, there is something to be said for if I work hard, if I show up on time, if I tell the truth, if I gain wisdom and get education, if I do unto others as I would have them do unto me, as, if, as I am generous, as I live this way, and these are all principles we see in Scripture, as, as I am attentive and, and, and as, as I engage in, in, in work and in life, you tend to do better, right? You, you, you tend to succeed more. And God set it up that way. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I would encourage you to live that way, but not in your relationship with God. Because what can happen there in the spiritual realm is somebody can be a complete spiritual mess and they can have done nothing to earn or deserve or even set themselves up for success. And Jesus can walk in to the middle of a life like that and bring blessing. And he does it all the time. And guys, as his kids, as God's children, we need to celebrate that, not be jealous of it. But I'm telling you, when you look at it like a formula, you're going to end up being jealous. Jealousy is the warning light that you're focused on the formula and not the friendship. Jesus illustrates this in another parable in Luke chapter 15 called the prodigal son, where the one son goes off, the younger son goes off and and uh, makes every mistake possible, rebels against his father, does everything he can to be disowned, and comes home broken and poor and starving. And his dad throws a party for him, welcomes him, forgives him, restores him, kills the fattened calf, has a huge celebration. And we like to focus on that part, but the other part of this story is the other brother who was there the whole time, who's sitting outside refusing to go in because he's jealous that his brother's getting a party. And his dad says to him, look, we have to celebrate because he was dead and now he's alive. He was, but, but all he could think about, all the brother could think about was, well, where's my calf and where's my this and where's my that? 
And he's like, I was, I've been here the whole time. I've worked hard. I've done this. I've done that. And you owe me this. And the dad's like, no, we got to be generous and we got to celebrate. But that's the other side of the prodigal son story, right? That's where our hearts can end up really easily if we think one plus one equals two when it comes to God, rather than just pursuing a relationship with him and going along for the ride and watching him bless the world around us and accepting the fact that I'm not going to get what you're going to get and you're not going to get what I'm going to get and there is no formula. Now, another thing that we, we see here in this, this passage that we're looking at today is that we see that Jesus responds to humility and he responds to persistence. He responds to humility. Uh, this isn't uncommon. Last week, the woman uh, in Tyre was pestering him and pestering him and pestering him. He was ignoring her and, and finally he turns around and he has a conversation with her and they, and they kind of wrestle it out in the conversation and she's disagreeing with him and ultimately she heals her, she heals her child or he heals her child. This week, we, you know, his, this guy's friends come and they beg Jesus and Jesus responds to the, their earnestness and to their willingness to lean in and be audacious and ask and humble themselves. And I think what Jesus is illustrating here is a principle that he teaches often, and that is our need to consistently pursue God, to constantly pursue God, to um, audaciously pursue God in prayer. And, and, and I have to say, personally, I wrestle with this because my perspective is God knows what I need. I'm going to ask him for what I want, but I'm not going to pester him. He knows when I need it and he's going to take care of it. And that's kind of my, that's the, and so I have to chalk this up to that category of he's God and I'm not. And if Jesus says this and Jesus demonstrates this, this is how it works. And this persistence and consistence in prayer is super important, this pursuit of God. And I don't know why, but I do know that Jesus made it clear. We see it in this passage. You know, in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6, these are both um, accounts of when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc., etc. Now, the interesting part is Luke's account and Matthew's account are different. It's not exactly the same, which tells me Jesus was not giving us a formula, pray these words and say them over and over again. He was giving them the, the topics. This is what you need to pray about. You need to pray about this and this and this and this. And, and, and so when you pray, pray for these things is what Jesus was saying. But the, interest, the interesting part, and I think even more profound part of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, we find in verse 5, after he gives them the Lord's Prayer, it says, that then Jesus said this to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him, which would have been a huge social faux pas. Hospitality is a big deal in their culture. You always have food to give people. This guy doesn't. He's in a, he's in a bind. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. 
But I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Because you're knocking on his door in the middle of the night going, you got to give me some bread. You got to give me some bread. He's going to get up and do it. Jesus in Luke 18 tells another parable about about a judge and a widow and the widow comes to the judge and she's like I want justice I want justice and the judge doesn't care he's like yeah whatever and he's not doing it but she just keeps nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and eventually the judge gives her what she's asking for because she is just so darn persistent and Jesus says and God works the same way don't give up in prayer now I don't get that you know, like I said, I'm like, well, God, you know what I need, and we're just going to... No, but God wants us to lean in in prayer, and he's God, and I'm not. Now, I think I get, get it maybe a little bit, and I think what God does is he uses our needs and our wants to nurture our relationship with him. See, because when we come to him, not with a formula, I'm going to pray six of these prayers and five of these prayers and, and all of that, but with a with a genuine conversation and we wrestle with him in prayer and we come back and we come back again and we come, but guess what? We're nurturing our relationship with God and he's growing us in the midst of it. And eventually God will respond to all of that. But when we start to look at God like a genie in the bottle, you know, I rub the bottle and I get three wishes, that's how it works. And if I don't get my three wishes, then God's ripping me off, right? Or when we look at God like a Coke machine, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? You Coke machine, you put your buck 50 in and then you press the button and nothing comes out. What do you do? You kick the Coke machine and you've all done it. So don't, you know. absolutely, because it jipped me off. I, I paid my part. I did what was expected of me and it did not do its part. But when we look at God that way, like I'm gonna do this, this, and this, and then I'm gonna get that versus I'm going to continue in this conversation with God and develop this relationship with God. When we look at him, like a formula, we end up feeling like we're being gypped and we forget the denarius that we've been blessed with. He is God and I am not. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if God will ever give you a house <laughs> the way that he, he has for me. Probably not. Uh, and it's not because he loves me more than he loves you. It's because he's got other blessings for you. And I don't know why. And I don't know why he does what he, what he does half the time. And if I, I could make something up, but I'm not going to. But I do know this. He sees things that I don't see. He knows what you need more than you know what you need. And he has your best interest in mind. And that's faith, guys. Faith is trusting that he has your best interest in mind and whatever you have is exactly what you need. Number three, Jesus seldom heals the same way twice. He seldom heals the same way twice. Why? I think because we want a formula, we want a model, we wanna know how it's supposed to work so that we can recreate it, right? It's the scientific method. You know, he goes to the, the Decapolis in chapter 5. If you, you were around for that message, he, uh, there was a demoniac who, who had a legion of demons, and Jesus sets him free, and the guy's like, I want to follow you. And he's like, no, 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 I want you to stay here and tell everyone about what God's done for you. 
Now he's back in the Decapolis. He heals this guy. He's like, don't tell anyone, right? And it's the same in the Old Testament. I mean, there was only one time that a bush caught on fire and talked to people. There was only one time that God's battle plan for the people of Israel was to walk around the city seven times and blow horns. There was only one time a guy gets thrown into a lion's den and angels show up and close the mouth of the lions. The rest of the time, they got eaten. One time. But that's what we want. We, like if, if there were two, two lion's dens events or Jericho happened twice or the burning bush happened more than once, all of a sudden we'd be like, okay, well, if I pray this and I talk to a bush and I turn around three times, then God will give me what I want. Boom. I got my formula. And Jesus is just defying that. Jesus has never done it this way before. He's never done it this way before. He's never spit and stuck in you know, wet willies and then touching a tongue. He's never done it that way. In fact, when they show up and they beg him to heal him, they beg him specifically, lay your hands on him and heal him because they probably have heard Jesus had laid his hands on somebody and they were healed. So that's what they're asking because they've got their formula already. But sometimes Jesus would speak to a sickness. Sometimes he would heal from a distance. Sometimes he would do it in the crowd. Sometimes he would go off to the side. Sometimes he would whisper. Sometimes he would let somebody else touch him. And it was different all the time because he knows our propensity for religion. He knows our propensity to, to want a model, a method, a formula, a recipe. And he knows where that ends when that takes root in our heart. And he doesn't want a formula, he wants a friendship. You know, it, you, you'll hear often in Christian world, it's all about a relationship, not religion. And that's exactly what, he's talk, what we're talking about. And the truth about God and the truth about Jesus is he will show up on his terms in his time and you can't manipulate him. You can pursue him. You can nurture a relationship with him. You can have an ongoing conversation with him about your needs, but you're not going to get him to give you a house or a gift or this or that other than what he has planned for you, and it's in your best interest anyway. See, Christianity is the relentless pursuit of a relationship with God. Religion is the relentless pursuit of a formula to get what you want from God. They're very different things. And the thing about relationships is they're full of surprises, aren't they? They are. There's, they're dynamic. There are seasons. There are seasons where you're closer and seasons where you're not as close. There are seasons where, where you're more home-oriented, you know, in a marriage or you're, or you're more, you know, outside. The, it, it, it's an adventure, but relationships are full of surprises. If you're married, you know this, right? You get, mar you, you get married and you're like, oh, I didn't know that about them. And then you learn this and you learn that. But here's where marriages go bad. Marriages go bad when they get routine, when we get our formula in place, so to speak. Like we're not, we're not pursuing one another in relationship anymore. I'm going to do my part. You're going to do your part. Right, and we'll get what we need out of the relationship. So I, you know, I'll go to work and I'll earn money and I'll pay the bills and and uh, or you know and, and I'll I'll help with the dishes and I'll 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 mow the lawn and I'll take the garbage out and I'll help run the kids around or, or whatever. And and 
that leads to a fairly peaceful home life, maybe. You know, I mean, I, I, well, I'll get fed and, and, uh, and, you know, my needs will, will, will get met for the most part, but it's not going to be chaos and, and bad. And so we, we figure out what we need to do to keep peaceful rather than to keep passionate. And we follow that formula and then the kids move out and we wake up and look at each other and go, who are you? Because we were just kind of following our formula through. And it's, it's, God has so much more for us in our marriages than just that. It goes bad when we disengage. And the same thing's true in our relationship with God. When we disengage and just go through the motions and just start plugging in the numbers, so to speak, it becomes what, what it did for the Pharisees. You know, they, they're like, I've got this figured out. We've got our formula. If we do this, God has to do this. God can't do this, which Jesus always blew by. And they missed God standing in their midst. I don't want that for you. And I don't think you want that for you. You know, the, the story that I told at the beginning about God giving me houses, that's a dangerous story. Because it would be very easy to walk away from that. One, you probably hate my guts uh, if, if there's some jealousy there. Um, but it would be very easy to walk away from those stories thinking God loves me more than he loves you. And he doesn't. He doesn't. That's just what he's chosen to do in, in my life. I have friends. I have a couple friends who everything they touch turns to gold. Like they could buy a pile of dog poop and the next day somebody would invent something that turns dog poop into gold. I mean, it just works that way. They just, everything they touch turns to gold. Uh, when the Vineyard Church was first starting out, uh, the guy who led it, his name was John Wimber, and he had this amazing gift of healing. Like, um, not everybody he prayed for was healed, but so many people were. Ironically, he died of cancer himself. He was not, he was not healed, but... But he had this amazing gift. And it would be very easy for me as a pastor or as a human being to look at my friends who's, who everything they touch turns to gold and go, God, why them? Like, you know, one of them's not even following you. Why? Why? Or it would be easy to look at, at John Wimber and go, why did he get that gift? And I, I mean, I, what I could do with that gift, that'd be amazing. And if I do this, this, and this, then you have to do that, that. You have to give me that gift. And it doesn't work that way, guys. At the end of the day, God is God. And at the end of the day, God is not fair. But he is good. He is so good. And our relationship with God is the denarius. It's more than we could ever ask for. It's more than enough. And you're not going to find a formula for houses or blessing or riches or spiritual gifts or anything else other than pursuing a relationship with God. Getting to know him better. Falling in love with him all over again. Let me ask you this question. Why are you here? Why are you in church? I think for a lot of us, we come to church because we want an easier life. Not a relationship with God. And newsflash, I'm not going to beat you up for that. 
because we all want an easier life. That's part of being a human being. And, and, and the, the reality is, if you follow God's precepts and his principles, you will, life usually gets better and you usually will get better at life. Things will be easier. I mean, that's kind of one of the byproducts of following him. It's not a guarantee and it's not a formula, but it kind of like hard work. It kind of works that way. But listen to me, that is not the point. Those principles and precepts, they're not formulaic. A plus B doesn't equal C. They just kind of are the way God designed life to work and it generally will work. You know, it's going to turn out different for me than it will for you. And that's just truth. No, the point isn't a better life. The point is a relationship with the God of the universe. And he invites you to that right now. Right now. Guys, I know there are some of us, because you know how I said it, we're, seasoned, we're in seasons and you're in a season right now where it's kind of become routine. You kind of have your formula and you and God are good, but you're not pursuing God. There's not a, a dynamic relationship or an intimate relationship with God. And he's calling you back to that. He wants you to lean into that. He wants you to pursue him and pester him and, 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 and engage in an ongoing conversation with him. And it will change everything for you. Nurture that relationship with your heavenly father. Don't pursue a formula with a cosmic force and don't be content with just going through the motions. God isn't after your religion. He's after your heart. And this is why Jesus mixes it up. Because he knows by default we're going to worship our models instead of worshiping him. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and I just want you to ask him right now. I'm not even going to ask him for you. You can ask him right now in the quiet of your, of your thoughts. Just, God, how's my heart? If I settled for ritual, routine, or formula, is there a place where I need to break from that? Is there a place in my life where I've put you in a box and you're bigger than that box, and I need to accept that and let you out. He's out anyway, by the way. Ask him, and then just take a minute and listen to what he says. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you help us to hear your voice and, and obey and engage Lord, help us to just not go through the motions and pursue religion, but pursue you. And would you bring that relationship alive in each of our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.